Welcome to Redeemer Church. I'm Pastor Tim. It's so good to have you here today in worship. Well, we are in our final week of our teaching series called Forgotten Virtues. And so far, we've talked about virtues such as purity and loyalty. And today, we're going to talk about gratitude and what it means to have gratitude. So we're going to look at a story in, in the book of Luke, actually two stories in the book of Luke, of some people that should be grateful, um, some that do and some that don't, and how we can grow and cultivate an attitude of gratitude in our lives today. Would you join me for a moment of prayer as we prepare our hearts this morning? Heavenly Father, we come before you this day seeking to know you, to understand you more. God, we ask that you would be in this place be present in this worship experience, Lord, through the music, the songs, the silence, the, the speaking, the words, all that will happen today, let your presence fill this place. Work in us anew, that we would come to know you and understand you more. It's in your son Jesus' holy name that we pray, and everyone said, amen. So there was a Boston consultant who was working with a bunch of college graduates, and he, he was coaching, and he was talking to these college graduates, and he said that everybody um, in the workforce today that was going into the workforce, that, that there, was, there was one word that they used to describe this emerging generation, and it begins with the letter E, and he asked all of these recent graduates what they thought that word was, and um, What's this word that, that everyone describes you as? That starts with the letter E. And, and all, of the, all of the young people, all these young hopefuls said, energetic, energetic. We're energetic and, or, or we're excellent. And, and all through these different names that really describe their positive behaviors beginning with, with exceptional. You know. And after they had listed all of these different E words, um, the consultant said, actually, the number one most commonly used word that describes this generation as they move into the workforce is the word entitled. Entitled. In fact, the millennials, which sometimes I'm classified as, are labeled as the entitled generation. Now, bear in mind, remember, I'm a transitional person, um, as is my wife, um, being born in the beginning of the 80s, uh, depending on what study you read. Those who feel like everyone owes us and we deserve more. Now, before those of you who say, yeah, that younger generation, um, we have to realize it was the actions and attitudes of the older generation that created a generation of entitlement. It didn't happen on its own. For one thing, those who raised millennials were, typically worked way too much and often ended up divorced. And they, they loved their kids. They loved their kids, and so they tried to make up for it for a lack of, uh, they tried to make up for it by never saying no. Um, parents made more money, and the kids got more things. And that's kind of a natural progression, really. Um, and then there was a change in the way kids were protected. Uh, if you think about it, see, when I was a kid, now granted, this is part of the reason why I'm a transitional um, person in the generations. When I was a kid, um, I could ride in the back of a pickup truck with all 12 of my friends, right? 
I, I did. I rode in the back of the pickup truck with all my friends, um, and it was fine. I sat on my mom's lap in the front of the pickup as a baby. My car seat was my mama's arms. That was my car seat. There were no seat belts, right? Nowadays, a car seat comes with like 12 straps and 13 buckles and a two-hour instructional DVD that you have to watch and a manual that you have to get signed off on before you can even leave the hospital, all right? So protection has changed. You can't even ride a scooter around town without being wrapped in bubble wrap and 12 different like knee pads and arm pads and a full body suit. You know, we, we protect the upcoming generation differently than we did 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And it goes on. You know, when, when I was a kid, um, you only got a ribbon when you won. Only the winning team got a trophy, and only the most valuable player got a big trophy. Nowadays, everyone gets a trophy because everyone is a winner now. And what has that done? It has built a generation of people that really do feel entitled. And it's not just them. It's not just millennials and Gen Y or Gen Z or whatever you want to call the newer generations. It's me and, and it's you and it's all of us, whether you're millennial or not. We are, as Americans, as people who live in this country, we are entitled. We are rich beyond measure. What I want to do today is I want to talk to you about the opposite of entitlement. I want to talk about the opposite of entitlement, and that is the forgotten virtue of gratitude. The Bible tells a very interesting story about some people who, who look entitled, and yet it doesn't stop them from showing gratitude. And we find the story in the gospel in the New Testament Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, starting verse 11, where we find these words. And Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem and reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. And as he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, leprosy and lepers Lepers had one of the most painful diseases. They would have open sores on their skin. And, and this is graphic, but some of them would be draining sores. And the, in, the illness affected the nerve endings of the person. And, and so it would have been very painful. According to Leviticus 13 in the Jewish laws, if you were a leper... It was your responsibility, whenever someone got close to you, you had to scream out at the top of your lungs, unclean, unclean. That way you would warn people to turn away and go the other way so they wouldn't get too close to you. It was humiliating to be a leper. Not only physically painful, it was emotionally scarring. These men not only physically hurt all the time, but we can only imagine the emotional turmoil that they experienced. They would have had no relationships. They would have had no contact and no intimacy of any kind with other people for years. And so they see across the street this man who's rumored, now just, just rumored that he could heal people. Imagine the excitement that they would have felt. 
Jesus, please help. Please. This could be, this, this could be the greatest moment of their lives if he would hear them and heal them then this could be the miracle upon all miracles. And so they just, they just cry out. They cry out. And the next verse says, he looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And they went, and they were cleansed of their leprosy. It was a miracle. They were healed. The disease was gone. Their greatest dreams, their most outlandish prayer had just been answered. And yet, the next few verses tell us something very surprising. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. Everybody say praise God. Praise God. Oh, that was weak. I mean, that was like no feeling. That was like, praise God. Boring. Uh, everybody say praise God with feeling. Praise God. Ah, now I feel like we're in the Baptist church. Yes. Just kidding. I'll cut that out of the podcast. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. Now get this. This man was a Samaritan. I remember we talked about Samaritans and what that means in that first century culture for a Samaritan to be thanking a Jew. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? We can almost picture Jesus' dumbfounded expression. You you are crying out in deep distress, and God sent me, and, and this is the miracle of all miracles in your life, and, and where did you go? What are you doing? Honestly. I, I, I don't think the nine, the nine men were really bad people, honestly. D do you think they were bad people? I don't think they were bad people. I, I bet they were probably good people, and they probably were just... Morally, I think they were morally upright in society, would probably judge them as being good people, morally, ethically okay, and they probably just went, were thinking, I want to go home and talk to my wife and my family and, and see my family again, and this, this is what I asked for, you know. I didn't want to do anything wrong. I didn't deserve this, and I didn't have it coming. I mean, this is, this is what should have happened, and, and it was almost as if they slipped into this entitled man, mindset. I deserved this. Only one out of ten stopped to thank God for his blessing. What we should each be individually asking ourselves is, will I be the one? Will you be the one? Because truthfully, the odds are stacked against us. Think about it. Will you be the one the daily pauses to give glory and honor to the one who gave you life? Will you be the one to stop in the busyness and lift up a true heartfelt worship to the creator and sustainer of the universe? Will you be the one 
to give praise and honor and worship and glory to the one who, when you were a sinner, sent his son, Jesus, to do something for you that you could never do for yourself, and you certainly deserve the opposite. Will you be the one? And not just with God, though. It's not just a conversation about you and God. Think about the people that you will impact, that you impact. Will you be the one that stops long enough to write that thank you note? To express your gratitude to someone who impacted your life? Will you be the one to stop and say thank you to a coach or to say thank you to a teacher or to say thank you who leads your life group or to say thank you to your mom or thank you to your dad or to a sibling or to a family member? Will you be the one to say, to say, to stop and show honor and gratitude to that person in your life? Or will you be like most people today? I've got it coming to me. I don't have time to say stop and say thank you. Will you be the one? Or will you continue to live in an ungrateful mindset? Now you may say, I'm not ungrateful. I'm generally a grateful person. I'm generally a grateful person too, I think. Until I realize I'm not. You may say that, but let me show you a quick interesting story in the New Testament. Jesus told a story about a guy who had two sons. Now, you may have heard this story before, but I'm just going to give you some pieces and parts of it. This guy had two sons, a younger and an older one, and, and you can see the ungrateful mindset in both of the sons. The first younger son he had an ungrateful mindset, and it was, I want it now. That's his mindset. The mindset, I want it now. And we find this I want it now mindset in the younger son in the story that Jesus tells in Luke 15. And to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed, for some reason, to divide his wealth between his sons. I want it now. Traditionally, you may not know this, but traditionally an inheritance is received after someone dies. But this son says, I want it now. I want to live my life. I don't want your rules. I don't want to wait. I want to have what you have, and I want it now. And so the father gives it to his son. And if you know the story, the Bible says that he went off and he squandered it on, on um, all kinds of wild and frivolous living. What the father perhaps spent years or decades accumulating, the ungrateful son wastes in a matter of weeks or months. He had an I want it now mindset. What's interesting about the upcoming generation really is that it has that same I want it now mindset. A lot of us do. You'll see people in their 20s and 30s who feel, really feel as though they deserve to live at the same standard of life that their parents have, except their parents have worked their entire lives to get to that state of life. They want to drive the same cars. 
have the same kind of house, take the same vacations at 25 that their parents are taking at 55. Don't be too, too quick to judge, though, because where do you think they learned it from? They learned it from their parents who thought, if I want it, I'm going to go get it. It's been a while. But it was common in my grandparents' generation, and my great-grandparents' generation, but less so for my parents' generation and near-existent in my generation. But there is an archaic philosophy that I want to share with you this morning. And, and I know it's, it's very archaic, and, and it may be way outside of your realm of understanding, but I, I want to just share it with you because I think it has merit. And I took some courses on this in seminary in, in my grad school, and, and I even did some refresher courses in this. And it, it's, it's a really fascinating concept. And um, I was going to get some diagrams and charts, but I, I knew last time I did stick figures and, and on the whiteboard, it was kind of hard to see. And and so I just, I thought I'd just give you an overview of it. Um, but um, it basically goes like this. Um, it's hard to explain but, explain, but I'll try my best. If you want something, you save your money before you buy it. Yeah, that's it. I know. If you want to know more about that, you can take the financial peace class that's coming up here in two weeks at the church. But seriously, seriously, the I want it now mentality dominates our culture today. And it's no better expressed than our spending habits and how we just live on this buy now, pay later thing. And we'll talk about financial peace here in a few more minutes. The second thing is this, we feel like I deserve more. I deserve more. And this was the older brother in the story. When the younger brother runs out of money, he realizes that even the servants in his dad's house have more than he does, so he decides he's going to head back to his father's house with his intent of begging from his father. And being a servant would be better than living how he was living now. So when he does come back, his father, and the father is actually a picture of his heavenly father, is waiting at the edge of town going, thank God my son is back. Because that's what our heavenly father does for us. Every time, thank God, my son, thank God, my daughter is home. He throws him a party, gives him a robe and a ring, and kills the fatted calf. But the big brother starts having a pity party and throws a tantrum. Here's how the story plays out in Luke 15, 29. The older brother says, All these years I slaved for you and never once... Whenever once refused to do a single thing for you that you told me to do, and in all the time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. That's how I read it. All these years I've slayed for you and never once refused to do a single thing for you that you told me to do. And all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. It's as if he's saying, someone owes me. I deserve it. I deserve better than this. I deserve more, Dad. And here's what we often say. I deserve a better paying job. If I can't get a better paying job, I'm not going to work. I'd rather do nothing than not let my skills get used for what they're worth. I deserve these benefits. I deserve a vacation. I'm worth it. I deserve it. I work hard. It's an ungrateful mindset. One of the nine, not the one. 
So let's take a moment for self-reflection and look at three areas where God exposes ungratefulness in our hearts. And then we'll look at how we can develop an attitude of gratitude. So the first area in our, in our lives is that God can expose ungratefulness is in our material possessions and our finances. So let me share with you some simple phrases that demonstrate a heart of ungratefulness. Are you ready? Yes, Tim, I'm ready. Great, I'm glad you're ready. Wow, we're really energized today. This TV is way too small. I can barely see what's going on in the game. No? Okay. Man, I wish my car had seat warmers. It's a little chilly this morning. I'd be debt-free too if I had that kind of income. Just imagine how much nicer the lawn would look, honey, if we had a zero-turn mower too. I deserve it. I work hard for my money. Whenever ungratefulness is showing up in our, life and our lives and possessions, we just need to recognize it. If you don't recognize it, you can't do anything about it. The second area, is show that the second area to recognize ungratefulness is in our relationships. Maybe you are tired of a parent nosing into your affairs or a relative, a relative nosing into your affairs in your life or it's a spouse and, and you wish they were different in some way or, or only they had a, if only they had a different job or they made more money or, or they would be a better spiritual leader or they would fix things in the house better. I wish she was more fun. I wish she was more involved. I wish she wasn't always with her friends. I wish she'd make more food around the house. I'm not happy because I don't have a girlfriend. I'm not happy because I wish I had a boyfriend like everyone else. I wish my boyfriend had a job, you know, and this and that and the other. It's on and on and on and on. And if you're relationally ungrateful, just say it. Yeah, that's me. Be honest and move on. The third area is circumstantial ungratefulness. I don't really like my job. I don't like my house. I don't like my hair or lack thereof. Call it as it is. Situational ungratefulness. Now for the rest of our time, what I want to do is work toward cultivating an attitude of gratitude. How do we be begin moving away from being entitled to being grateful? Cultivate an attitude of gratitude. And here's how. We have to decide to be grateful. We have to decide to turn blessings into praise. We're going, to, we're going to make a decision. Every blessing that God gives us, we are going to turn it into praise. That's a verse to a song that goes like, it's a praise and worship song that goes like this. Every blessing you pour out, I turn back to praise. I don't know if you listen to contemporary praise and worship from the 2000s, but that's an early praise and worship song. It's important to do this because every blessing we don't turn back to praise turns into pride. I want to say that again. Every blessing that we don't turn back into praise turns into pride. That's how pride and entitlement get a foothold in our lives. When we take the blessings that God gives us and fail to turn the praise back to the one that blessed us, pride sinks in. So instead, we must cultivate an attitude of gratitude. 
Paul says in Philippians 4.11, and I've used this verse before recently, how, how he figures this out from prison. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. If anyone can teach us a lesson in gratitude in any circumstance, it's Paul. He says that whatever the circumstance, whether healthy, sick, rich, or poor, gainfully employed or not, I know what it is to have plenty or nothing. He says, I've learned the secret of being content in any situation. This is something that we must learn. It's a mindset to train our minds and our hearts and our attitudes and our spirits. It's something that we learn, and that is the secret, that we can do anything through Christ who gives us strength. By nature, most of, us, most of us are not grateful. By nature, we're actually what Paul calls sinners. Remember? All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God is what Paul says. The next time you say, I'm sick of my car, instead get a different perspective. Say, thank God I have a car. That I'm one of the top three to five percent of the wealthiest people in the world and have transportation and can get from point A to point B. <sighs> My house is a mess. Thank you, God, that I have a roof over my head because I'm in the top 3% of the world and I have a house that has electricity and running water that's clean enough to drink. Oh, my house is too small. I don't have enough room for all my stuff. No, actually, God, thank you that I have a toilet and an air conditioner. I am blessed. Well, I don't really like my job and the people I work with. They're kind of mean sometimes. God, I'm thankful I live in a world where I have a right to work, where so many people are searching for jobs, and that you have provided me with a job where I have an income that I can live on. Shift your perspective. Cultivate an attitude for, of gratitude. Decide today to turn every blessing in your life into praise to the author and perfecter of all things. Will you be the one or will you be one of the nine? Because the odds are stacked not in your favor. Choose to be the one. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would forgive us for our ungratefulness and have mercy on us for our spirit of entitlement. We ask that you would do a work in us and change our hearts that we would never complain when you blessed us beyond all that we could imagine. Lord, help us to see those who truly are without, to help us see how much we have. And God, be grateful not only for what we have, but most of all, for who we are in you. God, forgive us for our ingratitude and transform us. Help us to be one, not just to feel grateful, but to show it, and to show to you and to show to all people. God, help us to turn every blessing that pours out into praise.
With your help, Lord, we will be the one and not the nine. It's in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus the Christ, that we pray. And everyone said, amen.